All right, well, we are on part four of godly decision-making. It's been a little journey so far, right? Already three weeks have transpired, and now we're at the conclusion of this little mini-series on how to make godly decisions. And, you know, uh, we, we've talked about how big decisions are in life. I mean, you guys, um, so many of them are in front of you. Choices, decisions. It doesn't seem like you can get up from the day and escape them. Sometimes I just, you know, you kind of wish I could get, get off on this escape pod somewhere and avoid all these decisions because there's too much pressure. There's so many things to decide. And, we, and we, sometimes it just gets overwhelming. It's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's what God is using so effectively in your life as a tool to draw you closer to him. And as I think about what we're teaching and what we're going through, I, I try to put myself in, my, in your shoes as best I can. That's a little hard because, you know, it gets a little more challenging year by year because that, that gap keeps going, right? I almost pray to God, beam me up, Scotty, to your shoes some way so I can relate to where you're at. And as I started thinking about that, I, well, it's like, wow, I remember those days. It was hard. It was anxious. It was, there, you know, it was really stretching times of how do I make good and godly decisions that bring honor to you, Lord? And it's just not thinking of myself. And I've made mistakes in the past, and I want to do better in the future, and Lord, give me solid biblical stuff to hang my hat on to make decisions that honor you. And that's what we'll do again today as we've been going through this. Just two book recommendations, two, two of several books I've been reading as I've been going through this. But I would advise you to two of these that are especially helpful. I know they're two of Clay's uh, favorites. I don't know if you call it a favorite, but Clay really likes them. Trust, I get a thumbs up back there. Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, as we've been talking about the different attributes of God and God's sovereignty and man's responsibility um, and just the wonder of God that, that, that we have the privilege of trusting the foundation and basis of making good and godly decisions. I would refer you to that book, Trusting God. And the other one is Just Do Something, Kevin DeYoung. That's one of those good old kick-in-the-pants kind of books, right? It's, uh, <laughs> you know, why are you thinking that way? Think like the Bible. And especially in godly decisions, in knowing God's will, in our elusive search to find God's specific plans for my life, and how fallacious that is in so many ways. We'll be spending some time with that today, but if you want more study, I would refer you uh, to that one right there, okay? So last week, <clears throat> we were talking about God's will not being finding this X on the treasure map, that if I find the X, that if I just find out God's instructions for me, there's that palm tree on the treasure map, and, 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 and there's that little mountain over there, and here's the pond, and if I just follow the clues properly, I'll find God's will for my life. And we found out God's will is not really like that at all, showing us the future by revealing my every step and decision, is not God's way of leading us with our decisions. God's way for making godly decisions is for his followers to embrace the way of wisdom. And one of the key passages we looked at last week was Proverbs chapter 2. The way of wisdom. Look at this. My son, if you receive my words and treasure, now here's where X marks the spot. Here's how we find ourselves aligned with God's will. It's this treasure. If I treasure up my commandments within you, 
your word, your will, your, what you've revealed. Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understand. Look at the effort here. Attentive, inclining. You see verse 3, calling out for insight, raising your voice for understanding. You, st- you continue to see that pursuit here in verse 4. If you seek for it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, which we know is the beginning of wisdom, right? And find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We need wisdom. What's wisdom? Remember that? It's skillfully making God honoring decisions through the purposeful application of God's truth. It's not just knowing. Knowledge falls short. Knowledge is important. You can't have wisdom without knowledge, but knowledge in and of itself, you can have the greatest fool in the world that knows everything, but he doesn't have wisdom. Wisdom takes proper knowledge and then skillfully makes God honor decisions by purposely and properly applying truth. And we noticed, uh, if you remember, we, we, we talked about the helicopter view of traffic. We don't have a lot of traffic in Lynchburg, but those of you guys that live in L.A., I hear about it all the time. And when we talk about wisdom, it's not that helicopter view of, why am I stuck in traffic? Or if I only could see where the problem was, I would know where to go. Like God needing to give us all the whys of why I'm where I'm at right now. It's not the helicopter view. It's the driver's seat view. It's through the windshield. Wisdom is finding and really assessing where you're at And with the knowledge and taking the proper steps, skillfully working your way through traffic, if you're able, (laughs) Uh, switching from the Apple Maps to Google Maps, or if you have two phones in the car, that gets really confusing, right? Apple says go this way, Google says go that way, now I'm I'm really confused. Uh, But what are you doing? You're skillfully working your way through to get to your destination safely, and if able, on time. But that, that, that's more the way of wisdom. It's skillfully working through it. Not to have all the answers as to what's going on, the why, 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 why. But it's how to skillfully work through the situations and the details and the circumstances of life as we make our decisions. So we looked at five wisdom principles for making godly decisions last week. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to go through these briefly, okay? So if you're a note taker... Uh, Try your best to keep up, okay? <laughs> but, but five wisdom principles for making godly decisions. Wise decision-making first trusts in God. It's where we start. It's where we have to start. Remember uh, Psalm 910. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know the Lord trust him. This has to be the beginning of where we start as believers when we make and face big decisions in life. Do I date this person? When do I get married? Do I buy this car? Do I take this job? Do I change my major again? Right? Okay, I keep saying that. Sorry, guys. Those of you that have changed your majors, I did it too. Um, yeah, it, 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 you know, we can get into this very pragmatic way of making decisions. It's all about my success. 
Sorry for the dig here. It's all about being a champion for Christ, finding my way, finding my niche, finding, lining all these things up, okay, in such a way that I have success on my terms. And if you remember, that was the James 4 kind of decision maker, right? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make profit, verse 13 of chapter 4. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's not about just success. It's not about just results. It's not about just meeting my goals, all of those which could be godly in their nature. Instead, James says in verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And that requires trust. We must look to God, his character, what he's promised to us, his promised disposition to us. And you remember what that meant here, nurturing a trust in God. In my decision-making, we looked at six different attributes. There's more we could look at. But these, we felt, were, compl- were, were, were adequately important. To look at God's goodness and his omnipotence and his sovereignty and his love and his omniscience and his wisdom. We need to camp out in these places in the Christian life. We just don't look to these when there's a big decision, although God uses those circumstances to draw us to him, doesn't he? He's so gracious and good. But as we grow in the Christian life, what do we do? We, we learn to meditate on who God is, not just the God of my own making. And we find out, man, when I'm struggling and I feel so far away from God and I feel like he just wants to to punish me and push me away and have nothing to do with me, I remember his goodness. Oh, he is so good. His disposition, his cosmic generosity, it's never-ending. It never fails. It never falters. When I feel so ungood, he still shows his goodness towards me. He's omnipotent. He He can always accomplish what he purposes to accomplish. If he wants to accomplish good in his life, there's nothing that's going to stop him. Nothing. And because he's promised good to you, he will do it. He's loving. He's always directed toward us and our purposes and our good to accomplish his purposes and good. He's all-knowing. Isn't that a relief when we're, when we're struggling with worry? Matthew 6, that's, that's God's comfort. I know you want these things. I know you need these things. That's enough. Trust me here. And now do the kingdom work, because I'll meet those needs, because I'm good, I'm loving, I care. And he's wise. He'll always choose the best possible way to accomplish what he's sovereignly ordained. So we said go slow. Take your time. Think on God first. Don't run and just make the decision, although sometimes we need to make quick ones. But at this stage in life, as you're learning how to trust God with important decisions, go slow, Okay. Um, that was the first wisdom principle. Secondly, five wisdom principles for making godly decisions. Wise decision-making asks God for wisdom. It asks God for wisdom. We talk to God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So we, we ask for wisdom. We place ourselves under him. We humble ourselves that I don't have all the answers. And quite frankly, many times the last thing we do is ask God. We're scrambling and we're doing, and sometimes I get out of breath and it's like, oh, Lord, I just need to pause here (laughs) and pray and ask you to give me things I don't know myself. I don't know how to make that turn. I don't know how to avoid this issue. I need your wisdom. And God gives. 
he'll give that. Wise decision-making also searches the scriptures. It searches the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16. We know this, this passage, right? God's word. It's their God's words. They're profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, complete, equipped for every good work. The word is sufficient. It's sufficient. It meets the needs. It equips us for every good work. It's what the Spirit uses. It's the tool God uses. It's the truth that the Spirit uses in our life to complete what we need. And we saw with that, we need to understand God's clear and general commands of Scripture. It's always God's will to obey what he has clearly stated. And then secondly, we need to identify commands that a neutral choice would violate, right? There are some choices that are not moral in nature, and yet we still have to apply wisdom. Do I buy the green car or do I buy the yellow car? Well, you know what? The color, I just can't find that in the scriptures. Maybe the book of first opinions somewhere. I prefer this. I prefer that. Well, I wouldn't buy a green or yellow car. Um, Sorry, Jojo. Where are you? Uh, The the green watermelon. Uh, (laughs) I call it the green weenie. I've I've told you that before. Uh, I love that car. I love love seeing Jojo in there. Um, But... So, do I buy the green one or the yellow one, right? I mean, now you, you, you take another layer down, and it's kind of like, oh, look at the price. Well, the green one, JoJo's selling his car, affordable, good car, good guy, he's taking care of it. I look at the yellow one, and it's a Porsche convertible, really fast kind of car, and slick, eye-turner, head-turner, and... Uh, and yeah, when I look at the price, it'll put me out about 20 years in debts, right? I'm thinking, maybe that's not a wise choice. There's some, there's some biblical principles I'm violating, right? So even though the color didn't matter, what do, what do we do? We, we have to peel that back where if there's another area, that neutral choice, if you will, that's, that's violating a command or wisdom, okay? Uh, also, when we look at wise decision-making, we looked at um, wise decision-making does the necessary homework. It takes some work. We have to gather data. You look at Proverbs, God's field manual for making decisions, for navigating through life. It's fed through information. You always see that um, emphasized and, and repeated in the Proverbs and throughout Scripture. We need proper data. We need proper information. It's not just an academic exercise. And We look at this, and we have to collect information personally. Look at the details. Think through things. Wise decisions are fueled by good information. When our son, Austin, uh, finished up uh, some of his work at uh, Vanderbilt uh, Hospital in his pharmacy uh, uh, work he was doing, uh, he moved and got his job over uh, near Dayton, Ohio. And I remember him trying to find the right uh, place to live, looking at different apartments, and you, you know how it goes. This one's got the lazy river and <laughs> this really nice exercise place and all this, and here's another one's half falling apart. And you're trying to think, decide, okay, well, I can afford the one that's falling apart, but the one with the lazy river, very cool, but ooh, it's a little high. Um, and I remember him, as he was searching for that, he started, very wise, he started collecting information about where, what the taxes were like. And uh, he found out, a huge difference, over 2% difference in taxes if he lived in this municipality 
as opposed to across the street in that municipality where the lazy river was, right? And he's like, I think I'll choose the one with lower taxes. I go, that was very wise, Austin, to think that through in a place you're going to rent and, and trying to conserve your money. He would like to buy a house someday and those kind of things. So what, what, he's collecting data. And that's a practical uh, example, but boy, we do that. We have to do that spiritually as well in collecting information from from God's word and through life in general. So, if one gives an answer before he's he hears, it is folly and shame. We, it takes time. You have to think it through, hear it out. Proverbs eighteen thirteen. But when we collect, uh, when we do the necessary homework, it's also seeking advice and counsel from others. Okay, so we don't know what we don't know. And if you want to accelerate your wisdom and your knowledge of things, talk to someone else that's been around the block, right? Talk to someone else that, that, that has information that you don't have. And then learn to humble yourself and listen. The, the way of a fool, Proverbs 12 says, is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. And that doesn't mean you go to several counselors that all that wisdom, that wisdom and advice is all going to line up perfectly. You weigh that in, in listening to it. It's not like, I must do that now, but you listen to it. You give ear to that. You give attention to it and not just ignore those things that make sense. And then uh, fifthly, uh, well, sorry, another one here in five wisdom principles and doing the necessary homework is evaluate your freedoms. Evaluate your freedoms. We said it like this. Where no command exists, God gives us the freedom to decide. Lots of room in the garden. Don't eat from that tree, but enjoy and fulfill the mandate everywhere else. God gives us freedom. It's gracious of him to do that. And sometimes we look at those freedoms and we get a little scared. And, and yet, when we don't have our freedoms, we get angry. And uh, <laughs> we get in this quandary, right? And, uh, but God says here we have the freedom to choose. So where no command exists, and scripturally, right, God gives us the freedom to decide. And then what we do is when we look at all these, as we're going through this process, trusting God, asking God for wisdom, searching the scriptures, doing the homework, seeking wisdom, all things being equal at that point, and you've got, you're at the crossroads, you're at the intersection, I need to make a decision between these equally okay choices. What do we do? You make a decision that agrees with your desires. It's not... It's not mind-blowingly hard here. We, we Don't over-spiritualize this. As you mold your desires to be that which pleases God and Christ, as you grow in the faith, guess what? More and more of your desires are going to line up just in a way you... I, I don't want to do anything that wouldn't please God. Why would I want to go to a place or do something that would either give dishonor to God or take me to a place that would be harmful to myself or my testimony? And therefore, when you grow and you develop a walk with the Lord, these steps here just become natural. Yes, if you're young in the faith, you might need a note card. All right, am I trusting God? (laughs) Am I asking for wisdom? But boy, when you grow in the faith, it becomes spontaneous. You grow in the faith. You you, you see some of our older saints in our fellowship or some of our pastors, and and, and they just exude wisdom in so many ways. They wouldn't admit that to you, but when when I sit next to them, I'm just like, I'm ready to keep taking notes every time they're talking because I just keep learning and gleaning, and it just flows out of their heart. This might look formidable to you, but stay the course. 
Because keep yourself committed. When we're trusting in God, you learn to do this in your devotions. You learn to do that today at the service when pastor's preaching the word. I'm learning to see God for who he is and who I am. And then I, I, I have a better sense of how I'm supposed to trust him. So stay under the word of God. Continue to, to fellowship. Continue these consistent good habits that develop self-control in your life. And guess what? You're going to grow in making good and wise decisions. Now, let's say we've earnestly sought the way of wisdom, all right? And now it's time to pull the trigger. It's time to trust God with a decision, and it's the right time to choose and put your choice in God's sovereign hands. I know all things work together for good, so I'm going to trust and, re- I'm going to trust and rest in him to accomplish his purposes in my decision. Yet at this point, facing the unknown, we may be tempted to come to God for a little bit extra confirmation, right? Just a little bit of doubt. <laughs> that's, that's just enough there in our hearts. Like, Lord, I just can't make that decision. Lord, just give me that nudge, just the divine nudge off the high dive. Just a little spiritual sauce in the mix here, Lord. Lord, just, just give me a confirming sign, and then I'll know for sure. Lord, if you just gave me a special word, not a big miracle, just a small one, okay? Some undeniable leading of the Spirit, then, then I can proceed with confidence. There's some big problems with that pursuit. We've been talking about it already, okay? What I want to do is spend a little time here and some other ways we might manifest this is inevitable problems with pursuing God's specific plan for my life. Does God have plans for your life? Absolutely. He knows them all. He's sovereign. Of course he knows them all. It's all laid out in his eyes. But as we see the problems here, we first find out that Scripture doesn't promise a step-by-step plan on how to make every decision. We have God's moral revealed will in his word, and it's clear. Obey these commands. If you disobey, you are clearly out of God's will. And yet there's these many other decisions I have to make, and I just would like a word from God what I'm supposed to do. Lord, just show me. And there is no promise in Scripture to do that. Do I pursue Mary or Margaret in dating and eventually eventual marriage? Lord, just give me a sign, right? Wouldn't it be great to have it written in the clouds? Or you're sitting at the rock with a bowl of spaghetti. Oh, I see Mary's face. There it is. Then you turn the bowl of spaghetti around. There's Margaret's face. I'm even more confused, right? <laughs> you scramble it all up and you see Susie. Oh, oh Lord, it's getting, it's getting complicated. Uh, God doesn't plan these divine breadcrumbs. Okay, we so desperately just want to have the answer, don't we? Remember Deuteronomy 29, 29, we've looked at this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. He is sovereign. He knows all things, but we don't see those things beforehand. Instead, God calls us to live a life of faith. We take steps based on his sure promises. We want to be able to see, and God says, no. I want you to trust me. That's faith. Faith is trusting in something very sure. 
But we want to see it first. And God says, I'm not going to give that to you. All right? So don't, that's an inevitable problem with find, trying to find these specific steps, a step-by-step plan from God. The other inevitable problem here is it absolves us of personal responsibility. God becomes the scapegoat, all right, when we use the catch-all phrase, well, it just wasn't God's will. Now, I know here, okay, when we use that term, it could mean the right thing. I've really sought things of wisdom. I've determined this isn't the right way to go. But boy, we use this as an out when things get uncomfortable, don't we? I prayed and I believe it's God's will for us to break up, right? And, uh, you know, the guy or the girl is sitting there, wow, I not only have you rejected me, but God's rejected me too. <laughs> it's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, you know, we have to learn to speak truthfully. Yeah, I, I'm not mature. Or I, I just don't desire this, or I don't, I don't love you. But don't blame God. Don't absolve your personal responsibility by just saying, well, it, it's just not God's will. The other problem, it's less work for me, right? It's less work for me if God gives a, a step-by-step plan. God-honoring decisions require effort. There's a pursuit to know the word, the prayer, and the application of wisdom. There's work with that, and there's, there's great blessing in the diligence of that. Fourthly, and have no problems with pursuing God's specific plan for my life, is it permits subjective interpretation of circumstances to be my guide. You know, it's oftentimes we see this alignment of circumstances that are favorable, and we automatically make the assumption that this is surely God's leading. Now, I want to make no mistake about it here. You understand this. God is providential. Things don't happen by chance. They're done by God's providential, sovereign activity as he is at work in all things, okay? Please understand that. I'm not saying to ignore circumstances. God works through them. And he often paves the way through providential working in circumstances. But listen here. Circumstances may perfectly align for that ring in the spring, but don't assume that they are a sign of God's specific will just because circumstances are lining up? We should thank God as he gives good circumstances, but we're to be thankful, too, in the midst of bad ones. Sometimes circumstances aren't lining up uh, well. And are we to think that we're out of God's will? Of course not. We just can't place too much much, uh, of our eggs in this basket of circumstances, okay? Fifthly, Inevitable problems, they perpetuate faulty decisions and doubt. Circumstances change. What aligned today and made an easy decision? The circumstances have changed. Has God now abandoned me? Has God changed his plan? What was his will yesterday is now, is it different? I've, everything lined up for this perfect, beautiful, wonderful marriage where we ride off in the sunset and, we, and we're at Disney Castle and we'll live there forever and, and it's just, everything's just wonderful. And, and all of a sudden I find out, wow, this guy's a sinner. <laughs> and I, the circumstances are hard and they're difficult and I, I'm not sure I want this. And it wouldn't be the first times it's said, maybe it's God's will that we're not married anymore. What if we're in that habit of just discerning right and wrong and God's will just by circumstances, we make really faulty decisions. Of course it's not God's will 
for you to get out of that marriage. It's God's will for you to work in that marriage. But when circumstances are the guide, we get in a lot of trouble, and it perpetuates faulty decisions and doubt. And sixthly, it fosters an anxiety instead of trust when we're looking for these breadcrumbs, right? If my ability to find God's specific will for me makes all the difference of success and failure, then God's blessing or his curses for my life rest on my shoulders. That's a tough burden to bear. If you've been living this kind of life just trying to find the unfindable, (laughs) you know, God's specific plan for you and what you're supposed to do and that sign in this circumstance and that message in the clouds or these particular circumstances and how to read them, wow, when we suffer hardship we suffer, and we're in suffering, we, 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 we presume that to be caused by my faulty decision. I didn't read the sign properly. Rather, we can make confident decisions that rest in God's loving and wise and good sovereignty. He works all things together for the good. So sometimes we make those mistakes and we're led back to truth. Lord, help me to learn from that and now follow you as the way I should. So what I'd like to do in the rest of our time here is look at four misguided methods for making decisions, all right? This elusive looking and searching and seeking for God to give me the answer I so desperately want. want. That cheat sheet, the thing that gives me, this is what I'm supposed to do. And the first one we're going to look at here is open doors. Open doors. You ever said that like, my, like myself? God opened this door, but he closed that one. So I know I'm supposed to go this way and not that way. And, you know, it's a term many of us use, and we're typically referring to circumstantial opportunities that God lays before us. And then, with those opportunities, we need to decide whether or not to pass through the door, you know, pursue the given opportunity. Now, open doors is a biblical phrase that God uses several times in the New Testament. But poor open door theology can get you into big trouble. Okay? Here's the question. Should we seek for open doors as definitive indicators of God's specific direction or path to take? And when there are open doors, are they optional? Or is it something we must pass through? So you've put out several job applications, but God has not opened any doors. No, 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 no. Usually it's no answer, no answer, no answer, right? You guys have been through that? And, uh, well, it must be God's will for me not to work. I guess I'll be at the beach this summer. Uh, <laughs> you know, just putting yourself in that position like that, we, we, we tend to look at that and say, you know, maybe if we look at it more objectively, maybe God's just testing my perseverance here. You know, maybe I'm not getting the answers I want, and it's hard, but he just wants me to look here or look there, or right? I mean, we can't just look at that and just make the conclusion. Well, I guess I don't have to work. Of course, we know the principle in Scripture, if a man does not work, he shall not eat. And that's a principle we all need to learn in this stage of your life. So um, remember here, God is sovereign over our circumstances, and he providentially works through all of them. But it's mere speculation on our part to interpret circumstances, to interpret certain circumstances as God's definitive will for us. This is the open door. It must be his will. And that's where we cross the line. Now, let's look, let's look at some examples here. 
where that's the case. So, so here in Acts 14.27, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, right? So we look at that there, and we see in this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, they gave a report in Antioch of how the Gentiles were given the opportunity to believe on Christ. Through the preaching of the gospel, many believed. And they praised God for this open door of ministry. The open door here, now notice, it was not a special sign that showed them how they must proceed, but a great example of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. They saw the open door, they took advantage of that, and God used their efforts to accomplish his purposes. And if you go there in, in, in that passage there, uh, uh, in, 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 later in that passage there, you'll see that God actually chose those Gentiles who believe. These are the ones he had decreed to believe, right along with what we've been learning in, in, in our Thursday Boundless on uh, personal evangelism. God does the, the, the decree. God does the choosing. God providentially uh, chooses those who believe, and then he brings that together with the gospel to save those whom he will. Let's uh, look at another example here. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, open door passage. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a whole door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. An open door for ministry. So here, Paul recognized God's providence in providing opportunities for ministry. It's no different when we put a clipboard out to you. Here's an opportunity to serve at the Christian School Fun Run or in this year's conference, right? Those are open doors for ministry. When you look at that, we don't expect 100% of you, and neither does God, to sign all up. Matt would love that, Pastor Matt, but I don't know what he would do with all of you, right? Uh, It's not an obligatory thing, but it's an open door for ministry, right? Some of you uh, might say, wow, God has opened up a door for spiritual growth during my time here at TBC. And I believe that's true. It's true for every one of you. We just have to see that. There's open doors for growth and ministry and all the opportunities to grow into the preaching of the word and to be involved in, in work, the work of the ministry. But I'll tell you what, every time that clipboard goes around, and I'm always saying no, I'm always saying no, there's never a place to really plug in and serve. Well, that's another issue. Another spiritual issue is open doors, but we're never taking them. Here's the point, though. The point is we're not obligated. Like, this is a special sign. I must do this. And that's not what we're saying here. In fact, you can see here uh, Paul saying there are many adversaries. Right? The path was not the easiest. It wasn't like all the circumstances lined up, so I know it's God's will because it's easy. No, 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 no. He had adversaries. There were obstacles. And yet he still saw it as an open door. So you might say, wow, God has opened a wide door for ministry for me to my roommate who is really struggling with trials and life-dominating sins. I'm so blessed to be here, and yet it's so very challenging, right? Open doors for ministry, and yet there's oftentimes opposition. What are we saying here? In, both exa- in these scriptural examples, open doors are God's providence at work in providing opportunities for ministry. They're not special signs for special actions. In all cases, those involved needed to make a choice to walk through or not. In fact, if you look here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 and 13, you'll see Paul had an open door and he didn't take it. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, 
My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on, the most, uh, went on to Macedonia. He actually left the open door. He needed to meet with Titus, who he was waiting for a report for a severe letter he had given to the Corinthian church, and Paul was distressed over this. You see that in 2 Corinthians. He was rebuking them for some significant sin and the undermining of his apostolic authority. And now Titus, who brought that letter there, they were supposed to meet, and, and Titus wasn't there yet. And Paul's got this open door for ministry, and he's got this other need of getting the information from Titus for the ones he dearly loved in, in Corinth. And he, he, he chose. He chose to go find Titus, and he left the door open. It's not an obligation. It's not a specific plan. It's not a mandate that you take the door. Okay, so don't look at the open doors as, oh, well, this is surely God's will. We have to assess that. We have to apply wisdom. You still have to go the way of wisdom in making a decision, okay? So four misguided methods for making decisions. There's first open doors. Another misguided way of looking at that is inner peace. I've got that feeling. I've got that loving feeling. Like a good song, maybe. Um, more than a feeling. That's another one, yeah. Uh, inner peace. Inner peace. Here we believe if God confirms his will in your choices, then surely I'll experience a feeling of peace and calm. We may say it like this. I'm confident with this choice because I have an overwhelming sense of inner peace within me. Here's the caution, guys. Feelings alone are subjective they often lead the opposite direction of a godly decision. You know one of culture's popular mantras, right? Follow your heart. Yet the heart is precisely what God says to question. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Look at two different problems here with pursuing inner peace as confirmation of God's will. Following a feeling of peace can first wrongly confirm a decision that is unwise or sinful. I can be quite at peace with lying, right, theoretically here, to avoid a consequence that truth would bear out, right? Or in a twisted way, I can feel quite comfortable with indulging in pornography with the justification that, well, it's not as bad as hooking up with a prostitute or going all the way with my girlfriend. And these are horrible decisions. We might be peace with a, uh, with, with a decision that, in our mind, we've justified. But that inner peace, well, we can't depend on that. It leads to horrible decisions. Remember 1 Samuel 15. Saul lost his kingship. 1 Samuel 15. He forfeited God's blessing when he was quite comfortable with keeping some of the spoils of victory over Amalek after he was instructed by the prophet Samuel to annihilate it all. Of course, Samuel speaking on behalf of God. And Saul convinced himself that he had sufficiently obeyed. He even set up a monument for himself. I mean, life was good. You know, he, was, he, he had all the peace in the world. And the prophet Samuel came and severely called him out. Comfort level alone is a very poor judge. The second thing, uh, problems with pursuing an inner peace as confirmation of God's will, is that it uh, can wrongly prevent one from making a decision that is wise and righteous. There will be times when you experience a lack of peace over something that you should do. 
But I have felt this before. I oftentimes go back to when, when God gave Moses the mandate to go lead the people out of Egypt. You're the man, Moses, and I will be with you, and I will give you the words to say, and this is what I'll do, and I'll do, and I'll do, and all the promises. What did Moses do? <laughs> Lord, I can't do this. He was, he was not at peace. And God wasn't looking for peace in his heart. God was looking for obedience. That's what he wanted there, peace or not. It's great if peace is there when we obey, but it's not a prerequisite. I remember when I was a young believer at the University of Toledo where I was saved, and we were part of a, a campus outreach group there, part of the local church we were going to, and they, it was an outreach to the secular campus. We called it Campus Christian Fellowship. And there was a bunch of gathering like this. 100, 150 people would gather from, from week to week. And uh, there was a time in my stay there that I was asked to take a place of leadership. I was asked to be the president of Campus Christian Fellowship. Now, to be a student organization, you need officers, right? You know how that works. You need a constitution. You need all these obligatory people. And I was going to be the obligatory president, okay? Uh, and that's all well and fine. I could do the paperwork, and I could handle those things. But there were two problems. First, I would be filling the shoes of a graduating senior who was a great leader. I mean, he was a big personality, a good guy, a godly guy, good-looking guy. He's the BMOC type, okay? Uh, and here comes little Richie. Oh, here's the little guy coming in now. And, yeah, fe- fears were in my heart. Can I do what he did? I, and, I, and I knew I couldn't. I knew I couldn't do what he did. And not only that, the second problem was being the president required opening up the meetings every week. I had to get in front of the masses and make the announcements and and just set the spiritual tone for the meeting and the speaker that was there. And little Richie, okay, he was bashful, little Richie. I mean, I'm the guy that always hid behind mom's skirt, okay, when we're in the store. It just, I just wasn't a frontline guy, I was a follower, I wasn't a leader. And yet I'm looking at all this, and boy, everything but peace was the feeling I had. I had tears, and I was praying, and I had lots of telling God, why me? I was just overwhelmed with this. Uh, I'm not ready for this, and yet God provided an open door. Now, this door wasn't something I was obligated to take. And I continued to pray, and I continued to seek the Lord's face, and if it was based on peace, peace alone, I would have rejected it. By God's grace, I said yes. And when I started to serve as the president, I was nervous. I had a lot to learn. I made a lot of mistakes. But I can look back and say, wow, God was good. And he used every moment to prepare me for future ministry. I really don't think I'd be like here in places like this. If, if God had, wasn't continuing to shape my heart for, for college, for people where he saved me, don't just look for peace. It's not the confirming thing. If peace is there, great. I mean, look, look at what the scriptures say here. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Hebrews 5. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What is God telling us here? In big decisions, don't just merely follow your feelings. Learn 
the, the discipline as, of, of evaluating those uh, feelings, okay, with the clarity of Scripture. Look at this. As we grow and mature, as you continue to put yourself under the Word, if you take that knowledge and you're applying it to the wisdom and skill of life, guess what? Your powers of discernment will be trained by constant practice. And sometimes that'll mean I just don't feel good about it. This is a hard, this is a stretch, it's not immoral. But Lord, stretch me and learn me through, teach me through the constant practice to distinguish good and evil, to make good and godly decisions as we go along. Yes, fruit, uh, uh, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Yes, there is promised peace in prayer, undeniable promises. But the feeling of inner peace should not be the determining factor and basis for your decisions. Evaluate those feelings first, okay? Four misguided methods for making decisions. We'll have to race through these here. Two more to go. Laying out the fleece, right? You guys have heard that before. Back in Gideon, you can turn over to Judges chapter 6 if you want. We, we don't really have time to read through that whole passage. But, you know, putting out a fleece, we're selecting a specific sign in advance and then asking God to act on that sign as a way to communicate specific direction to help me with a specific decision that God wants you to make. And this activity of laying out a, a fleece comes from Gideon. Uh, in Judges chapter 6. And really, it originates from a, a, you know, as we apply it in, in our day and age, as a faulty interpretation from Gideon in the book of Judges. And you remember in verses 36 through 40 of Judges chapter uh, 6, you know, God had asked uh, uh, Gideon to go out and face the Midianites. Uh, Gideon was a judge, and uh, he was a formidable foe. He was scared, he was weak in many ways, and he wanted. God's assurance. And he laid out the fleece, right? And you remember the, the story, if there's fleece on the dew, the dew is on the fleece in the morning and nowhere else I'll know it, and then just the opposite the next day. And God was gracious and confirmed those things. But here's the problems with coming away from this passage, thinking it is a biblical, it's biblical to lay out a fleece to know God's will. First of all, these are bad principles of Bible interpretation. The book of Judges, the genre, is narrative. It's narrative, it's story, okay? Many false ideas and rituals stem from an abuse of narrative. Stuart Scott said it like this, all of God's word is for us, but not all of it is directed to us, okay? As narrative, the storyline in Judges merely records what David did. It, but from that, it's not a prescription on what we must do, okay? There's a difference there. We can't automatically assume that's what is desired here or commanded. I thought Joel James said it well when he said, Gideon's fleece laying is no more to be imitated as a decision-making method than Saul's seeking out the witch of Endor. Good point. <laughs> we, we can pick and choose these kind of things, don't we, in a narrative and say, well, this will work for a great formula. And it's faulty interpretation of Scripture. Another reason it's not a, a, a fleece is not something we should be pursuing is Gideon's fleece and request to God was motivated by unbelief and cowardice. You'll see that in Judges 6, 11 through 16, and Judges 6, 17 through 24. Angel of the Lord informs Gideon that he would defeat Midian. 
and Israel, uh, Israel's enemy and Gideon doubts and questions every one of the Lord's assurances over and over, but I will be with you. And he doubted. It was just significant unbelief. He was weak in his faith. He was a coward in this, in this case. And Gideon then requested a sign of confirmation and God consumed his offering by fire. What we see, what we see more of here is God's grace and patience with Gideon then we do a method of determining God's will, all right? It doesn't minimize the significance of the situation here, right? It was a difficult place for Gideon to be, but he tested God inappropriately. The third thing here is why we shouldn't look to a fleece, and certainly why we shouldn't get that from judges, is a significant theme of judges is everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the mantra of judges. It's not the first place to go to glean a lot of wisdom, Okay? Uh, now, it is God's word, and much of it, it, much of Judges really shows us what we shouldn't be doing, not just what we should be doing. So, Lord, I don't know if I should ask this girl out or not. I'm terrified that she'll say no when I talk to her. So, Lord, show yourself faithful to me, revealing to me whether or not to have this conversation with this young lady. So, Lord, if she wears her, her hair up today, I will know things are looking up, right? But if she wears her hair down, all right, I'll go the other direction. That's your down answer, right? I see various girls putting their hair up, and I see other girls putting their hair down, okay? <laughs> uh, we, 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 test, we test things like this, don't we? Now, now, now listen here. Don't confuse fleeces with prudent benchmarks, Okay? or goals that in wisdom you can establish as a means of determining a good decision, right? Uh, Joby, I hope you don't mind me using you. I know you're, yeah, using you as an example. Joby was texting me yesterday, and him and Candace were out looking for cars. Gives me a text, hey, what do you think about this car, right? And I start giving him the engineering, you know, schematics or whatever, right? I mean, <laughs> probably more information than he wanted, right? I mean, okay, it was what he wanted. And uh, so I gave him the information. Now, if Joby told Candace, well, well if, if Rich gives us a good report when he texts back, well, then we'll know it's God's will. That's a fleece, all right? Uh, when, when, when I say something like that, you should all be saying, fleece alert, fleece alert, right? Okay? But if Joby t- tells Candace, hey, if we get good reviews, if we seek good counsel, if a mechanic sees no problems... It's the range, in the range of the money we have set aside and we can buy. We can look at buying this car. He set benchmark. Those aren't fleeces. Those are, those are just good, wise, and good goals to think through in making a good and wise decision. All right? All right. And uh, we got like two minutes to talk about God's not going to give you special revelation. Okay, sorry. We don't have as much time for that. But with the final misguided method for making decisions is God told me. God told me. There's an expectation of direct verbal communication from God, like prophecy or consulting a prophet, special, specific instructions, a specific word from God. But the New Testament never instructs us to find God's unrevealed will in making decisions. And this includes any special revelation for these directions. Scripture gives us many Examples of God communicating to individuals through direct communication, visions, dreams, prophets, angels. 
But in the New Testament, as we look at that, we see the formation of the church in Acts, the progress of the early church in the books of the New Testament. And we see God using gifts of apostleship and prophecy and speaking and interpretation of tongues. And in foundational ways, we see this, God using this as a means of revelation in a foundational sense in the early church. And hence, as the doctrine of the apostles and prophets were established, Ephesians 2.20, we see less and less frequency of extra revelation in Scripture to the point that we have a completed canon of Scripture, right? No new revelation. It's a faith once for all delivered to the saints, where today there are no modern-day prophets or the need for them. No new revelation. And modern-day prophecy is very different from prophecy in the Bible. Modern-day prophecies aren't considered by their adherents to be the very words of God in most cases, but they, they consider to be like the mental images that are generated by the Spirit, okay? The images from God they, 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 they believe, they believe incorrectly, are to be, are, are to be seen as 100% accurate. However, they, they also think that the person receiving them might misinterpret or improperly report on them. And therefore, to their own admission, modern-day prophecies can be an error or go unfulfilled. Let me tell you something. The Bible makes no distinction between Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. And in, in reality, modern-day prophecies have to take the interpretation of the Old Testament. Because, uh, well, they have to take this interpretation of errors in their prophecy because a lot of prophecies are in error. You remember these passages, Deuteronomy 18, quickly. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Prophets were to speak the very words of God. And what does he say? But if you say in your heart, how will we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the Lord does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. You could tell a fraud, fraudulent prophet from a real prophet by evaluating their prophecies. If they came to pass, it was true. He's a good prophet. If they didn't, he's a false prophet. And there were a lot of false prophecies in the Old Testament. And the consequences were, part, were quite severe. It was death. It was death. There is no difference in the Old Testament requirement for prophecy and the New Testament. And New Testament prophecy and how it's practiced, they want to make a special area of prophecy to understand and discern God's will and his way and his uh, revelation to us in a modern-day sense filled with problems, filled with, riddled with mistakes, oftentimes error-filled. And that's just an, a, a misinterpretation. And God's, God's standard for prophecy is much higher. It's not real prophecy. It's not God-ordained prophecy. God has not speaking in this way. Now, I, many more things I could, I could say here um, if you have more questions on that. And just where we believe on the promises and the direction of God's will through his word, we'll just close with this. Make confident God-honoring decisions. Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good. When we close this series here, what are we thinking? Wow, Lord, I want to make good decisions for you. I want them to be godly decisions. And you're a sovereign God that cares and works through the circumstances of life providentially as you're specifically